Take your copy of God's inerrant and infallible word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 13. Those of you watching online, thank you so much and welcome. If this is your first time here, we are honored to have you here at first, and we love you here, and you are loved here, and we want to make sure that uh, any way that we can bless you, uh, we want to do that. And so uh, if you have any questions or concerns or needs, you can go to our Next Steps area. We would love to talk with you today. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Let's stand as we read God's word this morning. Let's read these 12 verses. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. The Holy Spirit says to us today through Peter, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You may be seated. How many of you like to be told what to do by the government? <laughs> Most people don't, especially in Naples. <clears throat> Over the past couple of years, uh, churches and Christians have been divided over what should be our response in following what the government says, particularly concerning COVID-19 protocols. Shall we wear a mask or shall we not? Should we get the vaccine or should we not? The church in America and the West has had to make big decisions and big stands for religious freedom. Well, let not your hearts be troubled. We are not going to address whether or not Christians should get the vaccine or not or whether or not you should wear a mask or not. But we are gonna ask this question. In relation to the government and to the civil authorities, what should our posture be? Are we zealots that are called to overthrow an unjust, ungodly government and establish a theocracy? Are we patriots filled with nationalistic fervor, promoting our own personal political ideology as the answer to every ill in society? 
Are we conscientious objectors who separate ourselves from the worldly government, refusing to take part, refusing to wear buttons and driving horse-drawn carriages? Are we complainers, always upset about our government, about taxes, and about the incompetence of politicians? The answer, none of the above. We are Christians. And so the question is, what does that look like? Well, Peter is writing to a group of new believers who are scattered in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he has told us that we have been born again to a living hope and that because of this, we are ambassadors and we are a kingly priest in the world declaring and displaying the light of Christ so that those who are unbelievers may glorify God. We live in the world, but we are not of the world. We are citizens of the next world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so the question that these believers who are living in a very difficult day underneath a very hostile government, the question that is permeating in their minds that Peter is going to address, and the question in our 21st century day, living in the conditions that we live in as Americans, is this. How do Christians, citizens of another world, relate to the government and the authorities of this world. And so what Peter is going to teach us is this, is that though we are citizens of another kingdom, serving a higher king, we must, during our time of exile, submit ourselves to the authority that God has placed us under in order that we may fulfill God's purposes and be a witness to the watching world. And so we're gonna answer Three questions of the text. Number one, what is submission? Number two, how do we submit? And number three, why should we submit? So number one, the meaning, what is submission? Verse 13, be subject. Submit yourself in the middle voice. It's a voluntary thing. You are to go under command. You are to yield to leadership. Be subject voluntarily, willfully to every human institution, literally in the Greek, to every human creation. And what we get from that is he's speaking of power structures. He's speaking of human institutions. And so when we would think of our relationships uh, to uh, authority figures, uh, our parents, teachers, bosses, church leaders, government officials, Peter here is going to, in these few verses, and we'll even talk about this next week, is going to address three human institutions. First is the government, second is work, third is the family. And so he says, be subject to every human institution. Verse 13, 14, he's now going to talk about the government. He says, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors. Now, here's the question. Who was the emperor of the Roman Empire at the time of Peter's writing? Answer, Nero. Was Nero a Christian leader? No. There were no Christian leaders at the time of any of the New Testament writers when they wrote that we are to live this way as Christians in a unchristian society. Nero was a murderous, hedonistic, sadistic, evil lunatic, and he was in control of the empire. And what we understand is that every reference to submission in the government, all the New Testament writers knew that there were no Christian leaders at the time. And so this subjection is not if they are Christian or not. 
He says, be subject to them, even if they are evil and ungodly leaders. And what the Bible teaches all throughout is that Christians are not to be politically or socially subversive. We are not from here, but that does not mean that we are to be in conflict or antagonistic to the world. We are to obey the laws, we are to pay our taxes, and we are to respect our government leaders as good citizens. Verse 14, he tells us that governors and the government was ordained by God to do two functions. One is punish evil and second, promote the good. We should seek those same things where we live. Jeremiah 29 verse 7, uh, as Israel was sent into exile into a very godless society, God informs them and commands them to seek the welfare of the city to which I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you find your welfare. It has been said that even a bad government is better than no government at all. Now, I know some of you are looking at me, maybe cross-eyed, and you say, well, pastor, what about civil disobedience? Is there ever a time that we should disobey the government? What about Corey Tin Boone, who hid Jews in her closet in Amsterdam? What, what about Martin Luther King Jr., who stood against the Jim Crow laws of his day? What, what about the patriots who stood up against the British monarchy and tyranny of the British Empire? But here's the question. How many of you have had to hide Jews in your closet because of the government? Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in his letters from a Birmingham jail that, that he tried to obey every law that he could, and they only disobeyed the ones that were egregiously unjust. Peter understood civil disobedience. If you know much about Peter, Peter chose to obey God rather than the government. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter says, we will obey God rather than men. Peter himself would be crucified upside down because of an act of civil disobedience for preaching the gospel, even though the state had ordered him to stop doing so. But that's not the situation that most of us find ourselves in. So then, what is the question for, what is the rule for the question of civil disobedience? What is our rule? Well, here's the rule. If the government forbids us to do that which God commands, or if the government requires us to do that which God forbids, we must obey God rather than men every time. But for most of us, that's not the issue. For many of us, our problem with submission to earthly authorities is a problem with authority in general. Let me, listen, I don't like necessarily to be under authority. Just this few days ago, I took my kids to the happiest place on the face of the earth. Went to Disney. And, and, and I'm an annual pass holder, and for a long time, you could go to, we would go to Hollywood Studios and you could go, they say they open at nine, but you could show up a little early and they would let you in. And so we got there early, we went in there, we were so excited until I realized they changed the policy. And now if you are one of those people who stay at their hotels, You can go in an hour early, but for the rest of us plebeians, you have to stand over in a corner. And so I was surrounded by 30,000 of my closest friends. There was this one woman there, and there was the line. And in my mind, I'm thinking two things. Number one, if my kids weren't with me, I would be sneaking through that line. Number two, 
I didn't want to get on national news as your pastor breaking the law at Disney World. But listen, there are days that I want to go against authority, right? And there are days you want to go against authority. Our issue is that we don't like anybody telling us what to do, including God. But Peter says here, obey the laws, pay your taxes, and respect the authorities. But not because the government is God. You say, well, where did you get that from? It is a very big deal when Peter is writing that we are to submit to the Lord. We are to submit to the government. What the Romans would do is this. How they had such success in conquering nations, not only were they very strong militarily, but they would go into these nations, they would go into these city-states, and, and when they conquered the nation, they wouldn't get rid of the gods of the people. What they would do is they would have a god swap. And so they would bring into that nation their gods, the Roman gods, and then they would adopt those cities' gods and make them the gods of the Romans. And what would happen is the people would adopt the Roman gods, and Rome would adopt the, the other people's gods, and there became this religious syncretism. And so what you had is a civic religion and this Roman nationalism in which both religion and state were one and the same. And so the, how the Romans conquered the people is they basically told them this, to support your gods, you must support the state. And to support the state, you must support the gods. And so if you rebel against the state, you are rebelling against the gods, that's why they made Caesar, Curios Caesar, the Lord. The emperor was God so that he would be the one that you would give your ultimate allegiance to. And so if you rebelled against the state, you rebelled against God. Now that doesn't happen nowadays, does it? We don't have a civic religion, a syncretism, a, a Christian national. We don't have that, do we? Where we say, how can you be a Christian and vote for this? Or if you vote against this, you cannot be a Christian. We, we don't do that, do we, here in America? We have to be careful not to align our faith with any political party. We have to understand that Jesus does not ride on the backs of elephants or donkeys. That Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And we do not submit to the government because the government is God. We submit to the government because God is God. And he has commanded us in verse 13 that we are to be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake. That is, we do not obey or pay our taxes or respect those in leadership just for the sake of the person or the position. We do it for the Lord's sake. See, Peter's underlining argument in this passage is that the emperor is not the ultimate emperor. That your boss is not your ultimate boss. That your parent is not your ultimate parent. Jesus is our ultimate everything and our allegiance is to God and not anyone else. Jesus is exalted above and over all the powers of this world. And so he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then verse 16, he says, live as people who are free. Now, how does that work? You said to be subject to submit to every human institution, but then live as people who are free. What are we free from? Well, we're not free from God because he'll say we're servants of God. What are we free from? 
we, citizens of another nation, are actually free from the human institutions of this world because we serve a higher king and a higher kingdom. And because of this, we could only follow our king. We, we don't have to submit to those things if we just thought about that in, in the sense of our freedom. But Peter says, don't use your freedom in Christ as a cover up for evil. We are not set to, we are not set free to live however we want. We are set free to live however he wants. And he wants us as our ultimate allegiance, not the government, not ourselves, not anyone else, to live this way, to serve our king's higher purpose. We are set free from the human institutions of our day, and yet we're called to submit to them. We are called to voluntarily submit ourselves to them. And so to Peter, submission is not a mark of slavery, it is a mark of freedom. Because only those who are truly free are free to submit. See, we are, we are to willingly submit to human institutions, not because we have to, but because we choose to, because we are free in Christ to do so. Our allegiance is to God. And so whatever he says, we should do for his glory. And so a summary verse here in verse 17 Peter says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, as you read this, there's actually, it seems like Peter is giving a little jab to the emperor. You say, where is this jab at? Well, notice he uses the same word for everyone as he does the emperor. He says, honor everyone and honor the emperor. Honor everyone is that you should, you should not dishonor or disrespect anybody because all are made in the image of God. But yet, if you notice here, he puts everyone and the emperor on the same level. In that day, you wouldn't speak of the emperor or a Caesar on the same level as you would speak of everybody else. That would be completely unheard of. But yet, Peter puts everyone on the same level with the emperor. But I want you to notice what he does here. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. So you can honor everyone, but not necessarily love everybody the same. Honor the emperor, don't trash talk the emperor, but he says, fear God. He doesn't say fear the emperor, does he? He says, fear God alone. We submit in our reverence to God. We obey because we fear God more than we fear the emperor. So that's what it means to submit. So then the question is, well, then how do we submit? What is the manner? Well, in verse 15, he says, for this is the will of God. Some people ask me all the time, Pastor, I want to know God's will for my life. And so when you look at passages of Scripture, there are at least a handful of them that tell you this is the will of God. Be thankful. This is the will of God concerning you. Submit to every human institution. This is the will of God for you. Now, how do you do that? He says, for this is the will of God, that, so that, purpose, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In verse 12 of chapter two, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How are we to submit? What does submission look like? It is doing the good 
and doing the right thing. It's always doing the good thing, always doing the right thing, always. See, when we are submitted for Jesus' sake, not for our own personal gain, to honor people regardless of whether or not they can pay us back and be devoted to blessing others, it will put to silence at least a little the foolishness of ignorant people. Now, what is the ignorance of foolish people? Well, in Peter's day, what they had to say about Christians wasn't very flattering. Did you know that in Peter's day, they called Christians cannibals because they go around talking about eating flesh and drinking blood in the Lord's Supper? They called him incestuous because a man would say that he was married to his sister. And a sister would say she was married to her brother because they, all they do is run around calling everybody brother and sister. They would call Christians sadistic and atheistic because they wouldn't worship the gods. Well, today they call Christians non-progressive. Today, they call Christians chauvinistic. Today, they say that Christians are on the wrong side of history. My thing is, I would rather be on the right side of God than the wrong side of history. They call us Neanderthals, puritanical people. But Peter says that when we live like Christ, it can help silence the fools. A couple of years ago, my church that I came from, we had a second campus, and at that second campus, we would have hosted city meetings in which we would allow that we had a, a great venue, 800-seat auditorium, and so we allowed people to, uh, to the city to use it for various functions, and there was a particular city meeting that was going on. It was, it was, it was, it was kind of more complicated than how I want to get into, but there was different people from the community that got up and started to talk in front of the city leaders. The mayor was there, some city council people were there, some other government officials. And, and so this lady got up and she began to bemoan the fact that churches were tax-exempt freeloaders. And so she just began to go on. She said the church suppresses women, they're homophobic, they're narrow-minded, they're xenophobic. And she got so mad and she was so upset, and her main premise is that churches pay no property taxes. And so she asked this question that she thought was rhetorical, but wasn't. She says, what is it that churches actually do here in the city of Sanford? And so a man who I knew wasn't a Christian stood up and said this, and I wrote it down, and this is the best I could transcribe in the moment. He says, we can never get back from the churches in our city in taxes, what the churches have done for our city for free. They feed the homeless, they clean the schools and parks, they advocate for the poor and helpless, they provide disaster relief, and they're always there when we need them. He dropped the mic, people cheered, she sat down and shut her mouth. The question I want to ask you is this, what would our community say about us? What would they say about us owning this 100-acre lot that we have in a prime location in Naples? Would they say that we are a bunch of freeloaders? Or would we be able to silence the foolishness of those in our community by our good deeds and our love for each other in this church? He says here that when you always do the right thing and when you always do the good thing and you do good in your community, you may put to silence the foolish talk of foolish people. But then he goes a little bit further. Now he's going to go to another institution 
which he says, he begins in verse 18, and he says, servants, be subject to your masters. Now, Peter is going from a general statement to a specific statement, and, and, and I wanna just tell you that when he's talking about servants, a lot of preachers pretty this up. And they say, well, we're just gonna talk about employment, and this is employee employer relationship, but no, this is the institution of slavery. And so we don't have time to unpack all of this, but we do need to say a few things about his the Bible's address here to slavery. Number one, slavery in Roman society in the first century is not the same as colonial slavery that we are familiar with. Uh, it's still bad, it's still an evil institution, but it's not the same. Two, the Bible does not do a frontal assault on slavery, but the Bible undermines the roots of it. The Bible never condones slavery. The Bible regulates it, and I believe, gives the premise and the argument to eradicate it. Third, if you are a student of history, the, the abolition of colonial slavery found its roots in the gospel, and it's because of Christians that colonial slavery was abolished in England, William Wilberforce, and in America. What this tells us as our, as our modus operandi as a church is that we must be against any and all forms of human slavery, sex trafficking, and anything that would undermine and dishonor the image of God in all humanity. We are to be freedom fighters because Jesus is a freedom fighter. And the Bible says, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. So the church of Jesus Christ should always be on the forefront of the fight against any form or fashion that would dishonor, erode, or demean the image of God in any human being. From the womb to the tomb. But yet, he is going to speak to those who are living in these circumstances. So he says, be subject, be submissive to even unjust masters when you are treated unjustly. Remember, Peter's premise is that the emperor is not the ultimate emperor, and that same premise works here, that your boss, your master, is not your ultimate master. God is. And so it should radically change how you relate to those that you work under in life, whether they are good bosses or whether they are bad bosses. And so if you continue where he's going here, we are to keep on doing good, to keep on doing the right thing, even if we suffer for doing the good and right thing. Now, he has told us that some, by our good deeds, may silence foolish people, but also some may suffer unjustly because of our good deeds. So your good deeds may silence fools or it may cause you to suffer unjustly, but don't stop doing good deeds. Keep submitting, keep showing up, keep respecting, keep honoring. Why? For the Lord's sake. He says, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, if you read this, you would think, is he teaching us that we are to have full respect and to fear our unjust masters? No, he's not talking about having full respect to unjust masters. He's talking about you are to be subject to unjust masters because you respect God. 
that the one that you and I should be consciously aware of and seek to please is God. He says to be mindful of God, that we are able to submit and suffer unjustly because our mind and our heart is on God, not other people. We should be way more afraid of displeasing our father whom we love than disobeying and suffering at the hands of the boss or the parent or the leader we do not like. Peter says it is a gracious thing in the eyes of God if you do good and yet suffer because of it. Now, as, he, as you read these verses, this seems very counterintuitive. This seems very counter everything that you've ever thought about religion. Because most of us have, have this mindset hardwired in our brain that if you live the righteous life, then you will not suffer. If you do good, good will come to you. And if you do bad, bad will come to you. And so we've allowed karma to infiltrate Christianity. And let me just tell you something. Karma is not the gospel. There's a Greek word for karma, baloney. But what happens is this. In our mindset, we are hardwired to think, if I do good, then good's gonna come to me. But what happens when we do good and we do right and we suffer? Then here's what we do. We do one of two things. Either A, we think we've done something wrong. And so we've done something right and we think that our good deeds here should lead us to a good life, but yet we're having a, a horrible situation. We're going through suffering. There's a sickness. There's some sort of difficulty in our life. And so we begin to think, what have I done that's wrong? Has there been, is there some unconfessed sin? Is there something that I've done in my past? Is there something that I've thought or something that I've said that has caused me to suffer the way that I've suffered? Or either we think we've done something wrong or B, we think that God's not done something right. We've lived for God, we've served God, we've been good, we've never done anything wrong. And yet we're living in this suffering. God, you are not fair. God, you are not right. But here's the deal. If we suffer for doing right, God is not absent. He sees everything. So Peter says that our mission is to do good and to leave the consequences to God. God sees and knows your suffering. God knows your frustrations. And yet we are to submit to where God has us and trust him with our future because God is doing a greater work than we know in our lives, even though we may not like it and even though we may not understand it. That's what he's saying here. And he's saying, listen, if you suffer for being a knucklehead, what credit is that? But if you suffer for doing good, even though it doesn't make sense, it's a gracious thing in the eyes of God. Always do the right thing. Always do the good thing. Third, why should we submit? Motivation. Verse 21. For to this you have been called. God, God has called us to submit and even to suffer. This is the Christian life. Why? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Think about this. Remember we just talked a moment ago that the mindset of a lot of people in the church is that if I do good, good comes to me? Well, think about Jesus. Jesus did everything that was right. He always did what was right. 
He obeyed God perfectly. He submitted to the will of God. What did he get for his trouble? The cross. He suffered unjustly. If there was ever anyone who has ever been a victim of injustice, it would be Jesus. And so if Jesus, who is our perfect example, who lived a perfect life, who did everything right, who played by the rules, who never said a mumbling word, if he would suffer, why do we think we wouldn't? He says, for this you have been called. You have not been called to live on a flowery bed of ease here in Naples. Your calling as a Christian is not to collect seashells by the seashore. If any man follows Christ, let him come and die so that we may follow his footsteps. Listen, if you and I trace the footsteps of Jesus, it will not lead you to a life without pain. If you follow and trace the footsteps of Jesus, it will lead you to and through suffering. Unjust suffering is not a sign that you've done something wrong. It's not a sign that God is out of control. It is often a sign that you have done something right and that God is in control. Because Jesus is our suffering servant. And if we follow his footsteps, it will lead to our suffering. But I want to just say that if you've never been inconvenienced because of your faith, then you may need to evaluate whether or not you have a faith that is worth inconveniencing. Comfort and Christianity are often incompatible in this life. But notice that Jesus, he submitted to the governing authorities, even to his own death. Peter continues, he says that he committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. He didn't talk back and he didn't threaten. If there was anyone who could have ever stood up to the governing authorities and gave them a what for and sent holy napalm and sent all of those people to hell, it could have been Jesus. But instead, he submitted to them. He didn't run his mouth. Jesus didn't get on Twitter. He didn't get on Facebook. He didn't get on Instagram. As the old spiritual says, he never said a mumbling word. How could he do that? How can he do that? Verse 23, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He knew that ultimate justice was coming. He knew that the wrath of God would be the ultimate justice. Hell is the ultimate righting of all wrongs. Sin will not go unpunished. It will either be punished in hell for eternity or it will be punished at the cross. And so you and I don't have to take the responsibility of vengeance for unjust bosses, bad parents, or an evil government. We can rest in the truth that God has the final say. Mirasol Wolf said that if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, then God would then that God would not be worthy of our worship. Well, here's the good news. He is. Romans 12, 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. He kept entrusting. He did right. He always did good. He didn't run his mouth because he trusted in God. And he did it for love. He submitted 
for love. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus is the only one who has ever voluntarily died. You would say, well, what about those who have died for the military? What about police officers? What about first responders? Well, they didn't choose the moment of their death. And they didn't choose the means by which they die. But they did not choose the fact of their death. Everyone dies. Jesus is the only person to die who never had to. But yet he chose to. Why? Love. By his wounds, we are healed. We were straying, but now he is our shepherd. We were rebels who resisted authority. We were the servants who rebelled against our rightful master. We are the unjust ones who rejected the rightful rule of God. And yet Jesus is the Lord of glory who submitted to death. Jesus is the master who became a slave. Jesus is the rightful ruler who suffered our injustice. And by submitting to our injustice, he saved us. By his wounds were healed. So Peter is saying that you and I as Christians are called to do the same. We are called to take this posture on so that we may point others to him. Listen, the world may not see everything we do. The world may not hear everything we say, but they take notice in how we endure suffering. When we love others who seem unlovable, when we submit and suffer unjustly, when we do not retaliate with threats and violence, when we keep trusting in God, when it doesn't make sense, when we have joy that is inexpressible in the most painful moments of life, we are witnesses of Christ to the world. Just a week ago today, at this moment, we showed a baptism video that had testimonies in it. After the 9.30 service, a lady came to Pastor Kevin. She'd watched the video. She sat in the service and she said, whatever those people have, <clears throat> I want. And she gave her life to Christ and will soon be baptized all because of the witness of those who bear witness of what Christ has done in their life. Let me end with this. I'm, I'm a little over, but that's okay. What we see in 1 Peter, it runs on every page and in every verse, is that Peter really believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter bases his whole hope on the fact that Jesus is alive, his, that he is in control, and that something happened at Calvary that changed everything. You know, I've heard people, skeptics say, well, the, the disciples made up Jesus raising from the dead because they had to convince people to go along with their new system of morality. It was all about power. But Peter's not trying to gain power here. Matter of fact, he's teaching people to submit and to suffer with joy. Why? Because of the hope of Jesus' resurrection. Listen, Peter was not crucified upside down for preaching a message he didn't believe in. 
Listen, if Peter knew that he was lying, there would be no basis for his instructions for hope in the midst of suffering. But Peter believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And what Peter is saying in these verses is that Jesus is in control. Jesus is God. Jesus is the God of resurrection. And Jesus is worth it all. Whatever suffering, whatever pain, he's worth it. Just this past week, I was talking to some of our personnel in the Middle East. And um, I was talking to one particular team leader. And she was sharing just so much heartache that she had endured that week. She said, we had two people resign to leave the field. There was a tragic death of a, of a child. Uh, one of the team members' grandchild was accidentally ran over, backed over by his dad. There in the Middle East, they can't be there to comfort their son who accidentally ran over his child. A team worker had an accident and had to go to the ER. They had two team members who lost their housing in a very hostile world. She said, it's been a horrible week in a very hard place. But this same week, we saw four people, Muslim-believing background people, give their life to Jesus Christ. And she wrote this, Jesus is worth it all. You may have had a horrible week. You may be going through terrible suffering. You may want to give up. Don't. Keep entrusting yourself to the one who judges justly. Keep showing up. Keep standing up for the one who died for you on the cross and rose from the dead because he is worth it all. Don't lose heart. You are getting a testimony through the test that may change someone else's life for eternity. You do good until the stars fall on your head. Keep looking to Jesus. Bow with me. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Father, I pray that whatever I said here that is of you, that people would remember, and whatever I said that was not of you, that people would forget. And I pray, Lord, for anyone in this room or watching online that doesn't have a relationship with you, that God, today, they would turn to you. Maybe they are suffering and they don't know why. Would they understand it's not because you hate them, it's because you love them. And Father, we know that those of us who are in Christ, there is a day coming where there will be no more pain, where every wrong will be made right and everything sad and true. We look for that day in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing about the worthy God that we worship.